This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is sponsored by ArtBase. Are you managing an art collection, an artist studio, or a gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? We think so. Well, ArtBase is the right software to manage your art business. ArtBase allows you to track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. You just enter your data once and use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com now to learn more and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount. Over the past 12 years, the Art Tactic podcast has grown to be a leading art market podcast. Each week we share an exclusive in-depth interview with a key art world insider. As we move into a new phase of programming, we want our broadcast to be listener-supported and create content that you want to hear, not what we think you want to hear. You can support us by visiting contribute.to slash arttactic. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. Hope everyone's doing well. As long as COVID permits it, the fall has the potential to be a very exciting time for the art world. There are several spectacular gallery shows planned around the world, Art fairs are supposed to be returning in a major way, but until then, we're now in the art world's annual August hiatus. There aren't many new gallery shows, collectors are traveling, or at least some are, and artists are busy in their studios making work to exhibit later this year. Given that, we wanted to explore some other collecting areas that may have some similarities to art, but also some key differences. One is the sports collectibles market. I never thought this would be a topic for the Art Tactic Podcast, but the sports collectibles market has been on fire since COVID began, and we're now seeing art auction houses selling sports collectibles, and some art collectors are even getting in on the action, buying and selling them. Like so many others, I collected sports cards when I was young, and I've had them in my childhood closet the past few decades, just sitting there, doing nothing. They were a big deal in the 90s and early 2000s, but they were largely forgotten. Like others during the pandemic, I went digging back in my old closet to see what cards I have, what they might be worth, and I even started selling some of them. So in this week's episode of the podcast, we're joined by Chris Ivey, Director of Sports Collectibles at Heritage Auctions. We wanted to have Chris on to introduce us to the sports collectibles market so we can really understand why this market is performing so well and also understand some of its similarities to the art market. So hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, this is going to be an especially exciting and personal episode for me. Uh, I grew up collecting cards and sports memorabilia, and I honestly never thought this is something I'd have an opportunity to discuss on the podcast. But first, for our listeners maybe who aren't too familiar with this area, tell us what exactly constitutes sports collectibles. Sure. So, you know, sports collectibles is primarily, you know, vintage card or not, I shouldn't say vintage anymore, vintage and modern sports cards and memorabilia. So, you know, game used items, game worn jerseys, game used bats, um, significant awards, trophies, that type of thing is the memorabilia. And then cards, like I said, uh, vintage and modern cards probably make up uh, 65 to 70% of the overall uh, market and auction sales. 
I remember sports trading cards. They were extremely popular in the 90s and early 2000s. And then it seemed like maybe the internet killed them off or people had more options in terms of forms of entertainment. And suddenly they became an afterthought for a lot of people, myself included. But now it seems like they're trading at an all-time high and they've really come back in an incredible way. Why did sports cards and sports collectibles kind of fall in terms of popularity over the past couple of decades? And why are they suddenly surging back? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the market's been been strong over over the I mean, really, since, you know, the the, the economic downturn in 2008, um, the, the market saw a little bit of softness. But since about 2011, it's been consistently growing. Values have been increasing, uh, I would say, you know, on a good clip. And it was interesting because, you know, when the when the pandemic um started last spring, um, you know, us, like a lot of other companies, uh, you know, didn't know how it was going to play out. So we were tightening our belts a little bit and preparing for, for maybe some potential downturn or softness in the market. And, uh, and to my surprise, um, you know, that the exact opposite happened. I think our, our May auction last year, um, you know, we surpassed our estimates by 30% and, and the market's been, um, you know, been going strong and and uh, and prices have been increasing significantly uh, since that point. I think there's a lot of factors that go into that, and I suspect it's similar factors. Um, a lot of them are similar factors that you've probably seen in the art market. Um, you know, part of it is um, at the very beginning of the pandemic, I think a lot of the people were bored. They were stuck at home. Uh, maybe they had some additional money in their pocket because they weren't going out to restaurants or going on vacation. So they, they jumped back into hobbies. And, and so, you know, we're seeing a lot of that um, of people that, you know, as you mentioned in your question, the card market saw a, a, a large boon and a lot of interest in the 80s and early 90s. Um, you know, that fell off for a lot of reasons. I think there was overproduction by the manufacturers. I think people just moved on to other uh, other parts of their life because a lot of the people that were participating at that point were young. And and now we're seeing the benefit of that because those same people that were, were participating in the market when they were, you know, maybe, you know, eight years old to 18 years old are now, um, you know, 45 to 55 years old with, you know, careers and, and maybe some expendable income to invest in alternative assets and those type of things. So we're seeing a lot of those people get back in the market, but uh, there are also economic factors involved. I mean, uh, interest rates are historically low right now. So people are hedging against, you know, future inflation. So one way to hedge against that is, is buying hard assets. So, you know, that's why we've seen growth across the board, not just in sports, but in art and all types of collectibles. And um, so, you know, all those factors are kind of, con- con- you know, coming together at the same time to produce this, like this hyper growth that we've really seen in sports collectibles over the last 18 months. One really interesting aspect of the market is that cards are graded by third-party graders for condition, and then they're preserved in sealed cases. And I'm pretty envious because in the art world, especially older works, the condition of an artwork can often be an issue. And there are conservators and other people who can provide condition reports, but those are a bit more qualitative. Uh, While these sports card grading services, they provide an actual rating of 1 to 10, I'm really envious of that quantitative measure of condition. How does the grading work exactly, and how important are the grading services to the liquidity of the sports card market? 
Well, I think you said the key word there, which is liquidity. You know, I mean, these third-party grading services, the first one uh, was uh, PSA, who's part of Collector's Universe, who initially started as a coin grading firm. Uh, and they, they launched PSA in 1992. Uh, it was a very slow start, and not a lot of uh, sports collectors were, were adopting the, the third-party grading standard. Uh, and that changed around 1998, 1999. And so you think to yourself, what else happened around that time? Well, that was essentially the birth of eBay and the Internet. So what the third-party grading and authentication allowed you know, uh, collectors to do is really uh, offered liquidity, right? Because it, it commoditized these items. Uh, it allowed online transactions um, through eBay and other venues uh, to, to occur a lot more uh, quickly and fluidly. So, you know, that really, and, and, and it brings in, um, uh, um, you know, collector comfort. You know, it's been, it's been vetted by a third party. There's an understood um metrics of what they're looking at so when they when they say a card is near mint or near mint to mint or mint we all understand what those parameters are and so it commoditizes the material and makes it uh and makes collectors much more um willing to to spend the money to purchase that item without seeing it in person then i imagine most of the cards in your auctions are graded is that actually a requirement in order to consign a card into one of your sales uh, it's not required um, because we, we handle large collections, but what we do and the value that we really add for our clients is uh, we have several former professional graders on staff. So, you know, if you inherit a collection or you put together, like, let's say a, a top set run from 1952 to 2002, that's um, all ungraded. You know, we, we run it through our process here. We basically go through all cards. We'll grade the high-grade examples, and not just the stars and Hall of Famers, but, you know, vintage cards that are um, low-pop, uh, you know, rarities um, can also bring thousands of dollars on their own. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is low population. The population reports with PSA and uh, and, and other grading services, um, you know, a lot of collectors try to put together the highest grade set that they can, uh, graded set. And uh, and so that, that also includes not just the stars, but common. So, you know, common cards that, you know, could sell in a, in a box for, you know, for a quarter, can all that same card, if, if graded, if it's a high grade example and comes back a nine or 10, could sell for $1,500. So we use our expertise to help our clients find those needles in the haystack, the high grade examples. We send them in for grading on their behalf and then we sell them on their behalf. And um, that's the beauty of the auction process is that we're on the same side with our consigners and it's our goal to get as much as possible for this material. And I know you touched on this a little bit earlier, but as the markets continue to strengthen over the past 18 months, have you seen a lot of new entrants into the sports collectibles market? And can you tell us about who these people are? How diverse is the collector base? So we have seen, that's an interesting thing is, you know, I keep on, um, you know, people ask, oh, is this a bubble? Is this market a bubble? Is it going to, is it going to, you know, is it going to pop and, and everything's going to drop? And, you know, this is a market like any other. So there are going to be corrections, but I do think that the market, the, the basis for the market is very healthy. And the reason I say that is, is the amount of people that I do see joining in and, and jumping into this market. It's not just the, 
you know, the people that I referenced earlier that collected when they were kids, that is a large portion of it. A lot of people are getting back in for nostalgia and as a hobby and that we certainly see that, but it also, we're also seeing people jumping in um, as an investment uh, category and um, you know, they're jumping into the market because they're now viewing these sports cards and collectibles as an alternative asset class, just like they do with art and wine and, and uh, you know, hundreds of other collectible categories. Um, but, 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 you know, as the market uh, has grown, um, more people are comfortable diversifying, you know, and, and people feel that at this time, a lot of traditional investments are max, maxed out, you know, um, you know, you've got the wall, you've got Wall Street and you've got real estate, but they, they view alternative assets as a, uh, as a, as a viable option to maybe split off a part of their portfolio. And it's a lot of fun for them as well. So that's a, that's an added bonus. So I feel like I have to ask you an obligatory NFT question just because they really have been a major headline in the art world and I think just in society in general this past year. To what extent have NFTs played a role in the sports collectibles market? It's pretty interesting because if you would ask me, you know, six months ago about NFTs, I would have known oh, oh, virtually nothing about it. Um, and, and in that time, we've, uh, you know, NBA Top Shot has launched to uh, to to and become very popular, and a lot of people have jumped into that. We've actually sold NBA Top Shot uh, NFTs, and um, and and have the currently hold the world record for uh, for a sale of one of those at over three hundred thousand, um, which is nothing compared to the art NFTs I know <laughs> that have sold. But uh, it's interesting, you know. I mean, it's uh, it's a different type of collectible. I think it's very appealing to you know those that uh, that deal in crypto and that that are you know the younger generation you don't have to hold a hard asset you can hold a digital asset and and uh, and display it in that manner um you know as far as the long-term collectability of them i don't know you know i know that the ones that are supported by the leagues uh, mlb nba um nfl uh those will probably have a long a long uh, life and a, and a good um you know, a good market. Uh, the other ones, I'm not sure, you know, but anything that, you know, that, that brings new uh, collectors into the hobby and the industry, I think is a good thing. You know, when I started collecting as a kid, baseball cards weren't the first thing I bought. I bought some non-sport cards at 7-Eleven um, that were just kind of goofy cards for kids, but it, 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 you know, it opened the, the industry to me and opened my eyes about it. And so that's what I think is a great thing. Anything like NFTs, if it brings younger people into the market from that, they can start learning about more traditional uh, collectibles if they want to. They can start learning about the history of the game, Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron and all these guys, Michael Jordan and whatnot. So, um, again, I just think it's a, you know, I, I love the new aspect of it and I love that it can bring new, uh, new collectors into the market. So I'm sure a lot of people have been reading these headlines about the sports collectibles market and maybe some of them collected cards when they were growing up, myself included, and have thought about going back home to their childhood bedroom and going through their cars to see if they have anything of value. What would you advise or kind of the right ways to go about doing that, If figuring out if they have something that's actually worth something and maybe they want to sell it at Heritage? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's one of the main things we do here. Um, you know, people always ask how we get all this amazing material, how we accumulate it for auction. And it comes in a lot of different ways. But 
one of the main ways is by people contacting us and just getting appraisals on their material to see what kind of uh, value they have. So, you know, uh, people, and that, that's another reason, you know, we, a lot of materials started coming in uh, during the, the pandemic as people were stuck at home and they were bored. And so, you know, they would see, oh, well, you know, you know, uh, would be made that a Michael Jordan rookie card sold for over a hundred thousand dollars. And so people go, oh, maybe I have one of those. Right. So they'd go up into their attic and they'd uh, pull things out and then they, they go to ha.com and they submit an inquiry. And so we spend uh, a lot of our time here um, answering inquiries uh, and let people know, um, you know, what they have, what kind of market value it would have, if it'd be something that would be eligible for auction. Um, so yeah, absolutely. That's, um, you know, we, we, that's what we're here to do is to, uh, is to give people market estimates and, and, uh, and, and lead them in the right direction uh, should they wish to monetize and sell these items. So Chris, when is your next auction at Heritage and are there a few items in the sale that you're especially excited about having the opportunity to sell? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have an auction up currently. Uh, it's at ha.com uh, and, and just click on the sports tab, but we have what's called our summer platinum night auction. So um, we do two platinum nights a year, one in the summer and one in the winter. It's really the creme de la creme of, uh, it, you know, it's items that are five, six and seven figures. Um, so, you know, it's, it's the best of the best. There's, there's a lot of really neat items, uh, in this current auction. Uh, we're offering a Babe Ruth, a 1916 Babe Ruth sporting news rookie card, uh, that's graded uh, PSA six. Um, it's one of only about a dozen examples. Um, and it's currently at over 500,000. We expect it to reach a million, uh, by the time the auction ends on August 21st and 22nd. Um, uh, we've also got some wonderful, um, memorabilia in there. The, the cover lot is a Magic Johnson uh, game-worn jersey, but it's not just a Magic Johnson game-worn jersey. It's, it's, it's the best Magic Johnson jersey in the world and one of the best NBA jerseys in the world. Uh, Magic came into the league as a rookie in 1980. The Lakers won the NBA Finals in 1980. Uh, Magic Johnson was the MVP, and in Game 6, uh, if you if you may recall, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was injured. So Magic Johnson, as a rookie, played all five positions for the Lakers, uh, scored 43 points. Uh, it's one of the one of the all-time great uh, clinching games, and this is the jersey that he was wearing in that game. Wow. Uh, we're able to determine, yeah, yeah, we're able to determine that through photo matching. Uh, through you know, this is a new uh, authentication technique that's uh, really taken over in the last. Uh, two or three years in sports collectibles. So with the with the more modern material, there's digital images uh, that we can compare the jersey to, and based on the mesh holes and the way that the the name and numbers are stitched on the jersey, you can determine if it's the exact item that the that the athlete was wearing. So we're expecting the magic jersey. Our estimate's a million plus on it, and again, that's a, several hundred thousand right now, and, and it and should end up at a seven figure number when it's all said and done. Wow, what an incredible item you have in your sale. I mean, that's one of the most important games in basketball history and one of the most important and noteworthy performances by an individual player. So, yeah, to have the opportunity to own something like that is pretty special. Chris, thanks so much again for coming onto the podcast. We really appreciate you joining us and really introducing us to the sports collectibles market. It's so interesting to see how well it's performing, uh, really similar to the art market in many ways, but also some very fascinating differences. And if our listeners want to learn more about sports collectibles and check out the auction that you have ongoing at Heritage, what's the website they can visit? 
It's ha.com for Heritage Auctions. Perfect. Thanks so much, Chris. You bet. Thanks for having me, Adam. We want to thank ArtBase for sponsoring this week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast. Are you managing an art collection, an artist, studio, or gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, ArtBase is the right software to manage your art business. ArtBase allows you to track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. All you do is enter your data once, and you use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and a bunch more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used in the cloud from any location on any device. So go to artbase.com now to learn more, and be sure to mention our tactic for a 15% discount.